Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we're going to be talking about a wonderful woman who is really trying to get bereavement out there and get government support for it and all the things that we need to help and support bereaved families. So would you like to introduce our guest? Sure. As you said, Mom, we're talking about supporting bereaved families today, and we are talking with Joyelle Mulheron. She is the founder of Evermore, a nonprofit dedicated to making the world a more livable place for bereaved families. She is also a bereaved mom, and she is a DC policy expert with more than 15 years of service to our nation's governors and the White House. Welcome to the show, Joyelle. Thank you, thank you for having me. I wanted to get into your story and how you got in to the idea of founding, a, uh, doing a foundation and helping bereaved families. Sure, so I had a sick kiddo several years ago and, um, and ultimately lost her to a terminal illness. I immediately went back to work. Her name was Eleonora. And you are right that um, I suspected that when I was pregnant, something was going wrong. And so um, I'm a basic scientist by training. And I ordered the medical school textbook that they use in the United States to treat uh, obstetricians. And I taught myself obstetrics. And I began putting together what I thought was happening and concurrently put together a medical team. And I, I guess I could be a, a real pain in the tuchus for some physicians. Um, I'm one of those patients, I suppose. But um, I really had this moment when I was pregnant, and I didn't know it was a, a girl, but when I was pregnant with the baby, that I realized that no one's gonna fight for this child like I'm gonna fight for this child. They actually, they didn't tell me. Um, they, They suspected that there were some problems. And yes, in the beginning, actually what happened is my doctor was running late for an appointment Mm -hmm. and I picked up my chart and looked at my chart and then quickly sort of memorized a couple of words that were in the chart. And then that started me on the research side. And very quickly thereafter is when I ordered the obstetrics book. Um, And then I began putting things together. which included reading, you know, PubMed research and the molecular research behind, I'm, because I'm a molecular biologist and biochemist, was able to really start putting together what I thought was happening. Mm-hmm. So I also began advocating on, on her behalf for particular treatments that would not have been conventional. I had some very supportive physicians. There were a number of physicians along the way who were not very supportive, um, but really um, I ended up becoming quite friendly with some of the heads of departments at different hospitals and they're in their different units. And and they were very supportive. I mean, they wanted to see um, an outcome that was congruent with what I wanted for my child. And, um, and that's, I think, a unique thing for some physicians to really be able to give that power back to the family um, and make some of the decisions. I think some of the decisions I was making at the time was, was not 
traditional for them. They wanted to do more research and more research and more research, which I think at the end of the day, had we gotten all the tests done that they wanted to get done, they may have determined that, um, that our child wasn't going to be worth the effort. And so, um, so I resisted some of the, the, the tests that they wanted to run and, um, and went ahead and pursued the path where I, wa I wanted to um, give our child the best opportunity for a quality of life they could have regardless of what could be happening to them um, right. medically. Fabulous. And so you had your baby, took her home and took care of her and Indeed. And then, frankly, had a child that pediatrics didn't know how to treat. And so then was working through that. And by the time she died, we had uh, 23 care providers. Wow. And, um, yep. And none of, none of which, because I was the basic scientist, I was the one who was doing her caloric dilutions and um, doing all of her titrations. It was not something that our uh, medical staff could even could even do so it was a also an incredibly frustrating experience mm -hmm. in that um, I felt like I should have just had the opportunity to be with our child in that moment and not have to be doing you know the calculations and and so forth and doing all of her medical care um, I really I really had a lot of pretty uh, strong feelings about that uh, that experience concurrently um, had troubles with the employer and other sectors of life and really just felt like this is a lousy experience, not just because my kiddo's sick, but this is a lousy experience because everything that's supposed to be around us supporting us was really not doing the job that I thought they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you founded Evermore, I'm guessing? So as a result, well, not immediately. I went back to work a few weeks later. Um, and the whole time I was there, I just thought something else needs to exist for bereaved families. I don't know anything about running a support group. I'm not a therapist. I don't know anything about therapy. And so um, it was on the heels of Trayvon Martin and Hydea Pendleton and the Hotshot Firefighters and the Sandy Hook Massacre and the Joplin Tornadoes and the Washington Mudslide. There were all of these events happening in the media. And I just was thinking something needs to happen for these bereaved families. And so um, over the last couple of years, really dived into the issue and to learn more about bereavement and really took to heart what I know, which is public policy, mm -hmm. and started looking at what a bereavement agenda would look like as it relates to public policy. And you're advocating for, um, you have a bill and you're advocating on Washington, in Washington, D.C. for what? Tell us. Yeah, so the first thing that we've done this year is um, we attach some language to the U.S. appropriations budget, which is just a fancy way of saying the U.S. budget. There's only one bill that Congress has to pass each year, and it's the appropriations budget. So it behooves all of us to have something in tucked in there. And so the first step um, in this work has been a no cost um, appropriation that would require for the first time federal health agencies to examine and report to Congress what they're doing to advance bereavement, if anything. And so that language has been adopted in the House budget and, um, and we've had very good conversations with the Senate and, and Senate Republicans. The Senate 
budget doesn't come out until it comes out in some years, that's Christmas Eve. And you don't know whether or not the language is included until, um, until the bill actually comes out. And so we'll know when the Senate budget comes out, whether or not there's also um, complementary language on the Senate side when both of the bills come out. And if there is complementary language on both sides, it's about a 99% chance that that will be adopted into the US budget. And what this provision does is signals to the directors, the heads of NIH and CDC and HRSA and SAMHSA and other federal agencies that are written into this provision that Congress is beginning to think about bereavement and so should they. You can visit our website, which is www.live-evermore.org. There are a couple of different places for people to sign up depending on what they're interested in. Um, there is an advocacy sign up and when you're joining as an advocate, um, that is for, you know, being part of movements like this, calling legislators when there's time, you know, when there's a, a push, um, when that, you know, when those things come. There is um, a petition that we have right now to establish a White, uh, a White House Office of Bereavement Care, which would be the first of its kind. We've also in beta have a function now called report a concern. So we often hear from families who may be fired or being threatened to fire from an employer in the immediate aftermath, um, as well as maybe police won't give you your, your, your loved one's belongings back. And so reporting a concern can begin to activate the network on your behalf and advocate on your behalf, maybe in your very you know, specific locality. And then we also have um, engagement around sharing your story. And we hear from lots of different individuals who are interested in sharing their story with us. Many of the offices recognize the need. Bereavement itself is not something that these offices has ever, they've ever talked to anyone about. They've talked about hospice or they've talked about violent crime, um, but they haven't talked about the implications of bereavement as a health concern, as a social concern, and as an economic concern. There is a lot of receptivity. Well, tell us about your digital summit and when it is and what it'll be and how people can get on. Um, so our digital summit um, is about bereavement care for all. Um, we've invited a number of different notable voices in this field. Um, I would just say in the field of bereavement, but beyond sort of the traditional voices that we usually hear from, sort of other interested parties. Um, and we're gonna be talking about the problem and why it is a public health problem. And then we'll be talking about the way forward. We'll be talking about some legislative work um, that we've done and that we're prepared to do, but also really challenging the country and particular sectors to begin addressing bereavement on behalf of all families. Oh, Joel, thank you so much for all the work you're doing and it's fabulous and the energy that you've brought to this in, in honor of your daughter. Thank you. Yes, I agree with my mom, Joel. It's amazing what you're doing and how what an advocate you are and how you're going to push through some really significant changes in this country. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks everybody for joining us on this show today. And Heidi and I wanna remind you all that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week 
for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.